I have a thought about that, Chris, and it's not about the particular question, but it is the one you would talk about the journal. And I, I'm, I'm making this up, so it's just a thought, but think about how our behavior has changed in terms of reading. Mm -hmm. So when I went through in the 90s, and it was 1994, so I, um, you know, was just starting to work on my dissertation. I got a, a subscription to the American Historical Review Journal of American History, right? And I put them like trophies on the shelf and the red and the white <laughs> went across, right? As time has gone on. And it was something you did. Well, at the time in terms of library research, you might be able to with the dot matrix printer, print out all the search and then you'd go in and find them and then you'd photocopy them and doing that. No one is doing that anymore. <laughs> Out of loyalty, I get the American Historical Review still. But that's not how I actually work. I read journal articles off, off, off a thousand different journals based on the search engines, which are so powerful, that are applied specifically to whatever I'm writing, whatever I'm dealing with, right? And it's not bound only by history. It's bound by the particular topic. So I would suggest that those technique changes change people's orientation towards societies and toward research questions and toward journals. Yeah, and I think you know, the growing specialization and some might say fragmentation of, yeah. of history, which is not, which has both pluses, but a lot of negatives also, also means that the kind of the more general journals especially for those of us at institutions with no research budget and very little funding support. Like that's just not where I'm going to put my money. I mean, so I still get the, I actually do still get the JAH because I try, like, I don't want to be so fragmented and so specialized that I never read anything in American history. That's not in my field. I really want to have at least a vaguely broader view. So I still get that in reviews in American history and I have eyesight issues and I prefer to read in print. So for stuff like that. But for the AHR, so I haven't gotten the AHR for years, actually. I, you know, I haven't been, haven't gone to the conference, haven't needed to go for job purposes for a long time. But when, of course, I just go and read it. I mean, I read as soon as I heard about this, you know, roundtable, I immediately went and I read it. I read it online, you know. Yeah. I did read, the, you know, when I heard about the Sarah Mazur, I was like, oh, I have to go read that. I mean, that's relevant to me. You know, I want, I want to read that. Um, so I do think some of it's just a question of where you put your resources, especially if you have very limited resources. I get, I get, you know, I get our journal. And I get American Jewish history, which I'm also involved with on the editorial board. Um, and I, my personal preference is to read is to read them in hard copy. But that's just that's like an eyesight thing. It's not, you know. But if I find if I if I I, do, I still do the kind of searches Pat's talking about. I want to keep up the history of children and youth. So I do look for look for things, and then I just read that online. And I think also. I think the way the graduate training, and this, this is not a plus of graduate training, but I do think graduate training increasingly, like over time, has actually gotten more specialized and really pushed people to have narrow blinders on, which is not good. It's not good for their own research, and it's terrible for people who are going to go and actually have to teach lots of classes on different fields. They're just not prepared to do that. I think it's a real problem in graduate education. But the result of that also is that, you know, they're not going to get the big journals like that if it, because there's not going to be enough in any one issue to be of interest or what they see as utility which is a problem which is a problem and that's something that i think more senior people in whatever field have some responsibility to try to address or to do something about or to encourage 
to change. But like, um, I actually, like Pat, I, so when I graduated from college in Goucher, where, as I mentioned, Peter Bardalgia was my advisor, I won the History Award, and the, the prize was a subscription to the Journal of American History, even yeah. if you weren't going to graduate school. I was yeah. straight to grad school, but that was the prize. You got that for a year, and then um, also reviews in American history. Like those, you got a subscription to each of those for a year, and that was the prize. Whatever you were going to do next, <clears throat> and I, I seriously doubt that is still true. I don't know, but I would be shocked <laughs> if that was still like what the prize is. <laughs> yeah, you know when I when I read the piece, I was expecting it to be more of a hatchet job than it turned out. Than I saw it as, at least. Yeah. I think it's so inside baseball, maybe not our particular ballpark, but it's so inside baseball. I don't know how it could have, because only people who are children's historians would be able to read it and make any sense out of it. <laughs> Most of us are going to reject whatever she's saying, because it's a, it's a little, look at it, wasn't as mean as I was led to believe it was going to be. Having said that, I'm not sure she, she seems to be expecting a little too much out of historians. To have this, you know, very straightforward and um, cohesive theoretical approach to every single thing they do, um, mm -hmm. and and to suggest that we are failing somehow because we don't is kind of irrelevant. It's not irrelevant in places like Princeton, Harvard, Yale. I mean, that's the problem: is that mm -hmm. that European theoretical perspective, I think, has controlled the hierarchy, at least in the United States, in history, always. And you know, you're I not think in a really old fashioned childhood at those places, it's just not going to until well, that changes. I'm not sure we need them, you know. I mean, we're, I, we're a pretty diverse be. group, and yeah, yeah. I mean, they've all there's no civil war stories in those places either, you know. It, it right, this is talked about my other field, and and uh, I think the civil war will survive, uh, as a field without that. Um, yeah, I think they can go ahead. I was just going to say, there's no American Jewish historians in either any of those schools either. Historians of children and youth, childhood and youth, are you know rejecting the, the <laughs> academic hierarchies, right? Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I do think there's something there, and you all talked about that, and I yeah. I, I, I appreciate that. It, it uh, yeah. No, I just think good to hear your perspective. I think there's so much for us to do, Chris, that <laughs> I, I'm not worried about this at all. That's I just, great. I, yeah, I mean, I'll give you an example of a project that I'm working on right now. So I'm, 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 I'm writing a textbook for uh, LexisNexis Canada, where I build each chapter around a leading case uh, in Canadian law. And it covers really everything from contract law as it relates to children and youth to, um, to uh, custody and access orders, to freedom of, of speech of of students in high schools. It's everything, right? And you know what my hammer is? I wait for the justices to say something in their opinion that's not true about childhood historically. And because of the structure of the common law, they do it all the time. <laughs> they have to. So I have my little role that I'm gonna play throughout this, which mostly is just trying to report accurately about the law. I mean, I got my hands full just getting it right. But I get to do what I'm doing as a historian to weave in uh, what historians of childhood and juvenile justice or in, in various areas, articles, books, and others to say, you know, this looks a little bit different historically and problematize some of their legal reasoning 
even if I kind of agree where they come out with at the end, you know, I'm not much of a radical in terms of where we land, more of a radical in terms of how we reason. So, so to me, that's full-time work. <laughs> I feel really fulfilled at doing that. My historical training and my focus in childhood prepared me to do it. And I suspect that this will be very valuable for undergraduate and law students who want to try to understand the structure of the law in Canada as it relates. By the way, every, you know, give you one guess, what is by far the most important area of the law if you count by legal events, not money, it's custody and access disputes. Mm -hmm. It's like 15% of all legal events in Canada on the civil side, the non-criminal side, is just custody and access. That's only one category of like nine major categories, it's not contracts, not corporations, it's people fighting over their kids, right? So in other words, I don't have any sense about whether or not, gee, is this important to understand? Well, I know it's important. <laughs> and if someone else doesn't think it's important, that's fine because I got a publishing deadline and I got so much to learn. And I often feel in the library and in the archives and other places just boy, can I just do this okay? Can I, am I doing okay? And, and I'm really lucky to have that. So the status stuff, easy for me to say because I have a job. Maybe that's the other thing. <laughs> yeah. Although well, I think the fact that I know there's been some discussion sometimes in the journal, I mean, there's you know, a very healthy number of articles coming in, but maybe not as many all the time as I understand it as your editors might hope. And that's because people in the field can publish elsewhere, like lots of other places elsewhere, yeah. which is a good thing. That's a sign of health too, right? You don't, you're not, the subject's not ghettoized in its own journal. Wonderful as the journal is, there's lots of places, you know, the people who win the article prizes have not always published in our journal. There's lots of places that publish quality work in our field, which is a good sign. Like, and, that, and that's, that's a sign of health of the field and that it is taken seriously, if not, you know, by certain powers that be whatever, <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. that it doesn't have, you know, the, the point is that the work is important and recognized in lots of precincts of the profession. Yeah. yeah. Well, I really appreciate it. And thank you so much. It lifted my heart. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great to see you all still excited. Yeah. And, you know, we know that we're moving on the next generation. And anytime anyone wants to um, volunteer to be the secretary treasurer, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> so, hey, have okay. a great time. And everybody be well. Really yeah. great to see you, you guys. Yeah, good, good to see you, to you all. Everybody. Bye bye. Thanks bye. so Take much. Take care.